Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For the Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Danderen shortly and during the show we'll be joined by our 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson. And it's a special show this week because it's not very often we have an in-studio guest but this week we do and we are delighted to be joined by former National Women's Soccer League star with the Chicago Reds and the Utah Royals and current player with Melbourne City in the W League Samantha Johnson. We'll welcome Samantha shortly but before we do it is a bumper show from the opening whistle so we'll get stuck into it for First up with the Central Coast Mariners continuing to defy pre-season expectations, we'll be joined by one of their favourite sons, Ruan Tonyik, ahead of this weekend's clash against Melbourne City. Then we'll talk to ESPN and SBS journo Joey Lynch, who was in the room when Mark Rudin delivered a caustic analysis of Western United's loss to Sydney FC as his team's finals hopes begin to fade, or not begin to fade, they've pretty much faded altogether. And to wrap up the hour, we'll discuss with Samantha both her background and how she contrasts the football culture in Australia compared to the world leading set up over there in the USA. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matilda Central. And with the Premier League coming to an exciting end with plenty to play for for several clubs this weekend, former England man and now BBC special comments expert Stephen Warnock joins us again. We'll cover the rest of the European scene with Dino and Dell and wrap it up with stoppage time. But Edge, good to see you, mate. But even better to see Samantha Johnson. I'll leave you to do the introductions, mate. Absolutely, Rob. Um, I'll introduce Sam in a moment, but uh, how about it? We've had a drought of international fixtures, and all of a sudden, in two weeks' time, we're going to have about 25 fixtures over a period of uh, two or three months with, uh, obviously, the Socceroos, Ollie Roos uh, friendlies, Ollie Roos in, in, uh, at the Olympic Games, as well as the Matildas uh, warm-up games and their Olympic ca- campaigns. So it's going to be a lot to look forward to. Can't wait to all of that. But Sam Johnson, um, welcome. You're hanging around here in Melbourne after the W League season uh, on the basis of, uh, you know, it's a COVID-free environment. Enjoying a bit of time here before you head to Europe for your next uh, playing gig. But welcome to Box to Box and our little uh, tidy environment here at, uh, at the studio. Yes, thank you for having me. And I'm really, really glad I got to stay in Melbourne just a little longer and just kind of avoid America for a little bit and have a safe training environment. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries, Sam. Well, we're going to talk a lot about your career as we go through, but you'll be joining us through for a few different segments. We didn't get you on just to talk about yourself. We want your uh, views on a few different matters going on in the world game. But look, Willem, why don't you get stuck into the news and uh, we'll get this show underway. The Victorian government has pledged $116 million towards a home for the Matildas at La Trobe University with construction to begin in December. The project will be completed ahead of the 2023 World Cup and will also become the home of Football Victoria with the State Rugby Union Centre to sit alongside it. The funding is the largest single commitment the Victorian government has made to football and comes off the back of $15 million from the federal government last week. Michael, good to see the wheels are turning in terms of what many hope will be the lasting long-term legacy of this Women's World Cup being a facilities upgrade around the country. Determined effort by Football Victoria. Um, it's been in the making for over a decade, this, uh, this significant announcement for the home of the Matildas, but not only at the home of um, Football Victoria, also all of their underage uh, talent programs. Um, it will be five fields, uh, a futsal uh, pavilion, as well as administration change rooms and a grandstand, and probably suitable for W League games and some MPL matches as well. So that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic announcement. So well played to uh, Football Victoria, Football Australia, and the Victorian and federal governments. 
Sydney FC have announced plans to finally unite the club under one roof, having struck a deal to build a $20 million uh, facility at Macquarie University named Sky Park. Sky Park will house the club's A-League, W-League, junior teams and administration, with their women's academy to be unveiled once it's completed next year. Meanwhile, MacArthur have announced a $38 million home in Cordell, which will be entirely self-funded and owned. So Rob, MacArthur... They're nearing the end of their first season. They probably haven't had the impact off the pitch that uh, many have hoped for up there in Campbelltown, but this at least ensures a long-term future. Yeah, it does. And I suppose like Western United, uh, we'll talk about them a little later, uh, these are long-term plays. I mean, obviously we wanted expansion. We've been waiting for a long time for it. But uh, just because you put a new club in doesn't mean that the fans are immediately going to come in, and particularly when you've got the the, the you know the, uh, uh, situation with COVID around uh, as well. It doesn't make it any easier. But this infrastructure commitment obviously uh, uh, lays the deeper roots that uh, that we need for football in, in those areas. Heading abroad, Barcelona have become the first Spanish side to win the UEFA Women's Champions League, breezing past Chelsea 4-0 in the final. Dutch winger Lika Martins put on a masterclass as Barca righted the wrongs of their 2019 final loss, with all th- four goals coming in the first half. Drop of the shoulder. A couple of options in the middle here. Lika Martins. Oh, it's four. Unbelievable. It's turning into an absolute catastrophe of a final for Chelsea. Walked in by Caroline Graham Hansen. And really, you can't see any way back now. It's Chelsea nil, Barcelona four. Sam Kerr had little impact for Chelsea and was subbed off after 73 minutes and was mocked in the aftermath for a tweet she sent during that 2019 final. Now, Samantha, in Australia, we tend to consider the US and now the UK as as the main football hotbeds abroad. But in your opinion, does this mark the arrival of Spain as a powerhouse? And and what were your other key takeaways from the final? Um, Yes, I think Spain actually is an amazing country in terms of football and their progression of what they've done. I know individually they have a lot of talent um, on their national team and clearly it's showing um, on their club side as well. But I think the overall evolution of the women's game is kind of showing now in the investment that they've made across Europe. Leicester City have lifted the FA Cup for the first time with Yuri Tillemans' second half strike, enough to see them pass Chelsea in the final. Isaac Perez's contact. Tillemans from long distance. Oh, one of the great Wembley goals. Yuri Tillemans fires the Foxes in front in the 2021 FA Cup final. The match will be remembered for the scenes post-match, Michael, in which owner top Srivadana Prabha celebrated joyously with the team. Three days later, Chelsea extracted some revenge in the league with a 2-1 win, meaning the Foxes find themselves on the verge of missing the top four. So, Michael, a gripping double act across the past week. I think if you had have offered Leicester the FA Cup uh, and for them to then not go on to, to make the top four, I think they probably would have taken that, but still not ideal given the season they've had that they're, uh, they're on the outs. Amazing end of the season for Leicester City and Chelsea. And obviously, um, we, we, we think of Premier League clubs as being big organisations, obviously huge amounts of TV rights, huge money, but... That Leicester City uh, club ownership, obviously um, the father uh, passed away in the tragic uh, helicopter accident, leaving a match, believe it or not, uh, almost uh, two years ago. Um, They have really left their mark on that club. Uh, The family is much loved by the Leicester community and and I uh, obviously have some business in Thailand, so I spent a bit of time in Thailand and know that he's a very popular um, business tycoon in Thailand and Leicester is a very, very big brand in Thailand. So it just proves that um, even though these organisations are very, very big, they are uh, communities in their own right and even they reflect the values of those communities and it was just fabulous to see the owner sharing uh, that, that moment with the players after the, the field. I, I thought it was uh, one of the highlights of the year. 
Back home now, Ulysses De Vere is set to leave Wellington at the end of the season to take up a three-year deal with MacArthur, believed to be around $750,000 a year. The 30-year-old has scored 19 goals and set up another 10 in 48 games for the Phoenix and has been clearly their best player over the past two seasons. Dave Lewis had this story for SBS. Rob, it's a statement signing for the Bulls, who we've just discussed. For Wellington, it's another blow. They just can't keep their best players. But I guess, in terms of cost, everyone has a limit, and that is a fair bit of cashola. In better news for Wellington, though, they have secured Ben Wayne on a three-year deal. But, yes, Devia to the Bulls. Well, they seem to be a development club these days, don't they? And... Um, and managing to, to come back every time they lose one of these players. Uh, so, uh, you know, if the pipeline continues, then, uh, then you know, the, the upside is that they make a bit of money and, uh, and gives, uh, you know, some of the younger blokes uh, another opportunity. And staying with Wellington, they've requested fans refrain from bringing national flags to Saturday's clash against Western United. It comes after Tom Hamed celebrated with an Israeli flag during their two-all draw with Melbourne City. In a statement, the Phoenix have said they acknowledge the tension in the Middle East and have taken the stance out of respect for all nationalities in the conflict. So, Michael, a first little test for the NCIP since its reintroduction uh, in, I suppose, brighter news, not that this is particularly bad news, but the Phoenix have sold 17,000 tickets for their return home uh, against Western United. Fantastic that uh, Wellington are going to play a home game after being away for so long, almost a, a year and a half. So uh, that's going to be fantastic for New Zealand football and the community. Um, and on the flag stuff, uh, totally understandable that decision's been made, but the Israeli striker at uh, Wellington, I think he has the Israeli flag out sort of because there's been so many of the Israeli community coming out to see him play. So I don't think there was any nastiness in that, but it's a good decision to ensure that that's, so the heat's taken out of that situation, uh, obviously, with what's happening. Well, the UN would have been happy with the headline um, that was posted. What was it William showed me earlier on? that uh, Wellington Phoenix acknowledges tension in the Middle East. Six months ago, if someone had put that headline in front of you, Michael, what would you have said? Uh, gee, I would have said um, anything's possible. I don't really know. <laughs> And a final one for me, Andrew Durante has announced that this season will be his last, ending a National League career that started with Cindy Olympic way back in 2001. He's made 414 National League appearances and holds the record for the most in the A-League with 356. He won the NSL with Olympic, the 2008 Championship with the Jets. He spent 11 years with Wellington and played 24 times for New Zealand in that period and has been a brilliant servant for the local game. 400, 414 National League matches. 356 Neo League, 24 times he played with New Zealand. Amazing stuff. Well done to Andrew Durante. That's a fair shift, Rob. And a fair echo in this studio as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, Samantha, we'll um, have you on throughout this, at both hours, in fact, and have a, you know, a deeper dive into your career later on in this hour. But um, we are going to talk to Ruan Tonyuk after the break. Uh, he's having a breakout season. Uh, most players who have played with five clubs in the A-League usually are about 35. He's about 25. But uh, he's finally got it together and doing some great things up there on the Central Coast. We'll talk to him next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Now, I've been telling the boys for ages that the Central Coast Mariners are a powerhouse. And uh, they just refused to believe me up until this season. Alan Stagic has had them firing. Uh, everybody's been waiting for them to fall off, but they haven't. And one of the players who has been central to all of that is Ruan Tonyuk, and he's on the line now. How are you, Ruan? 
I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, we're all the better for speaking to you, my friend. Uh, now, look, uh, I know you've got a sense of humour, but there's plenty of players that that, uh, that go from A-League club to A-League club. Uh, some have played for five clubs, but usually these players are around 35 years old, not, not 25. Yeah. So it's taken you yeah. a little while to settle in, but now <laughs> that you have, um, you, you know, everything seems to be going well. Uh, what, you've had you've had plenty of chances, so you must be grateful that, that you've got this one and now you're making it work. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, it's very rare to see a young player go from club to club, like you said. And um, I'm very grateful for the uh, the opportunity the Mariners have given me. And um, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be able to uh, repay them by, um, you know, performing and doing the best I can for the team. And, uh, and a settled player, a happy player, is, uh, is, is more likely than not to, to play at their best. And um, I know this, this article is some time ago, but one of the, uh, the things that really caught our eye earlier on in the season was the article that Vince Regari wrote in January uh, about your, your friendship with um, your neighbour Remo. So um, you know, just how important, you know, with your family being in Adelaide, um, has uh, that relationship with Remo? And for those who are unaware, Remo's an elderly Italian gentleman who's got an encyclopedic knowledge of of football and sport in general. He's 82 years old, Remo Pertot, and uh, he's become very close friends with Ruan. It's amazing because, you know, like you said, my family's back in Adelaide and um, I've, I've met such a gentleman, uh, Remo. He's, he's helped me a lot outside of football, um, you know, getting my head away from football and just like listening again to understand, you know, someone else's perspective. And he's, he's really um, helped me settle in and I and I enjoy watching a lot of the Asian game with, with him. You know, when he comes over, we, we analyze games and we just watch. And, and, you know, I think my love for the game is, um, has gotten stronger, you know, from, from, from enjoying the game with him. And um, he's, he's a great guy. And uh, I'm very, very, uh, very lucky to, uh, to have met someone like him. Ruan, heading into this season, Ruan, heading into this season, it wasn't just yourself, but almost the entire Mariners back four who looked like uh, they were maybe sort of a, a bit of a misfit collection. I'm talking, of course, of Kai Rolls, Stefan Negro, Jack Clisby and yourself. Is there an element of pride that uh, as a group you've all managed to, to come together and played almost every game and, and you're all producing career best form alongside each other? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the best thing about it is we can learn from each other and I think that from the start of the season we just kept it going where it's like um, we just defend as a unit and you know I think the main the main thing that that sticks out um, from us is, is the way that we cover each other you know in certain areas of the pitch you know um, a, lot, a lot of us do a, a lot of, a lot of um, tracking back but I think it's just the way that we cover each other and, and help each other in the game and I think um, you know we've, we've got a very very good squad and I think um, defensively um, you know continuing to play week in week out together and um, is helping us uh, improve and this Saturday night you've got the biggest test of the lot Melbourne City at Amy Park uh, on terms of the ladder you've been leapfrogged by Sydney as well and need to win to recover second place so how's the mindset of the group heading into what's going to be your biggest challenge I mean you, you've conquered just about every challenge so far but yeah this looks like the biggest of the lot yeah definitely um, every, every, I'm pretty sure everyone in the league knows they're a very very good team but um, we've proven that we can beat them but um, it's going to be a very, uh, very hard test. But I think that we're capable of doing it. I think um, the way that we play, um, you know, we 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 shouldn't let them control the game. And I think that we go there with the mentality, um, you know, based uh, the way that we play, and um, off a win against Newcastle Jets, I think that's really built our confidence as well. 
This is Box to Box. We're talking to Ruan Tonyuk from the Central Coast Mariners. Ruan, um, there's been much made about your coach. Obviously, he's tumultuous ending at the Federation with the Matildas, and then he's made every post a winner with Central Coast. Uh, he will um, rightly be probably named the Coach of the Year this year, whatever happens, uh, between probably him and Patrick Kaznorbo, the two coaches. Can you just tell us about Alan Stajic's um, um, impact on you and w- what have... What have you taken out of your time with Alan uh, at the Mariners? Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's, he's had a really big impact, um, not on just me, but a lot of the players and, you know, most importantly, the whole club. I think uh, him and him and the, the rest of the staff, um, they, they come in with the, with, um, with the style of play, their mentality and just the drive that they have. I think it's really, uh, really driven the club. Um, he's a great coach, great manager. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, playing under him. And um and obviously, a lot of the players uh, feel the exact same way because you know you can tell from the way that we uh, play for not only just the fans, the coach, the staff, for the whole club in general, and um, I think it shows a lot. Certainly does. Uh, it's obvious to see when you watch your games. There's no doubt about that. Um, tell us about last weekend's F3 Derby. We, we know they're big games against Newcastle. It was your, an important one because you hadn't won a match in six matches before then. So, um, is is Beating the old foe has that given you a bit of extra um, confidence going into going into the remaining uh, three games of the season? Yeah, absolutely. And um, with with the results that we've had in the, the uh, past few games, where we didn't you know snatch the three points, I think um, the derby was a really really important one. And I think that um, you know it's given us a lot of confidence. We know we know the way that they the way, the way that they play. But um, it's, yeah, I think um, we've definitely. Uh, gotten a lot of confidence out of that and I think that we just take it to Melbourne City and just do the same for them. You played three matches with the Oli Roos but you've also been called up for South by South Sudan and I just want to ask you um, about your, your colleagues and teammates from South Sudan. How are they doing uh, in the context of COVID um, and what are you hearing from that part of the world? We'd love, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that experience but also uh, what, uh, what your, your teammates are, are living uh, through over, over there at the moment. Yeah, there's um there's a lot there's a lot that's happening. Uh, I've got a few I've got a few ex teammates that um that did play for South Sudan. Um, I think at the moment things are going things are going pretty well for them. Um, there's a few players that you know that they've got a lot of restrictions in certain areas um in the country. But um, I've spoke to a few a few of the other players. I think they're doing pretty well at this at, at this stage. And before we let you go, um, your, your teammate and. Uh, fellow, well, his roots are in uh, South Sudan as well. Ali Kowal, he's uh, he signed up with um, the uh, the German Bundesliga side Stuttgart. Um, he'll head over there at the conclusion of the season. Um, uh, that that's a, obviously an inspiration to, to not only you but um, to the the other you know members of the diaspora as well who are very proud of, of their their home country. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's he's proven himself. You know, for for the games that he has. Um, come on and made the difference um it's a, it's a it's a very great story and i think he deserves to be where he's at and i think it's, it's, a, it's a great stepping stone only only for himself but um for the country as well i think um he has he has really um but he has really yeah i think he's really um you know made it made a, a great step for himself um the club as well putting them on the map as well yeah, exactly, and uh, and so and, and for a proud nation like South Sudan, who's who's had so many hard times, you're just both wonderful examples um, 
for uh, for Australia and and your, and your local community, mate. So uh, so congratulations to you and uh, for everything you've done. Uh, for those of us who've been advocates of the Central Coast Mariners for a long, long time, defying the objections of other people, some of whom I'm looking at right now, uh, Ruan, uh, I wish you all the very best for the back end of the season and uh, and hope you can uh, you can make a real head on tilt. You might not win the premiership, but uh, the grand final, you know, it should be in your sights. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, mate. No worries, Ruan Tonyuk from the Central Coast Mariners. All right, stick around. More A-League Western United. Not good news down there. Joey Lynch after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now it all looks so good at the beginning of uh, the current A League season for Western United. Mark Rudin had uh, steered the side in their debut season to a top four finish, and uh, they could have played in the grand final, but for uh, a couple of decisions that didn't go their way. Fast forward to the current season and it's all gone wrong and uh, we're seeing some uh, fractious interviews in post-match press conferences and a man who covers it all very closely is Joey Lynch. Uh, he works for a number of quality organisations, ESPN, SBS, but uh, most of all he's a great football writer. How are you, Joey? I'm going very well, thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, not at all, Joey. So um, you posted a, an article after the recent um, match at uh, Ballarat, uh, the, you know, the headline, it's shattering for everyone involved in this football ball club, Mark Rudan, takes aim at the perceived lack of respect for Western United. It sense that he's taking this personally, but the perceived lack of respect seems to be around the fact that um, there was so much expected of the club going into the season. But you were there. How, how, how did you um, explain this? You've written it in, in you know, your, your article, but, uh, but tell us from your own personal point of view as you listen to the man. Uh, he's not broken, but, but obviously shattered. Yeah, I think it was quite shattered in the sense that that Ballarat fixture, it marked the culmination, well, their first home game back in Victoria after four games uh, on the road at what is a very crucial time of the A-League season, not just for Western United, but for most of the sides in the A-League. It's one of the most tight seasons we've had in years. And, you know, there's less than 10 points. Well, there's only 10 points that separate second place Sydney um, from 10th place Western United and Western United have a game in hand. So it's so tight and all these sides are competing for a final spurt. And he was upset that his side during this crucial stretch had had to play uh, four games back-to-back, very short turnarounds on the road. They were in Adelaide on April 30, Brisbane in, on May 5, Sydney to play Western Sydney on May 8, Perth Glory to play, in Perth to play the Glory on May 12. And then uh, back to Ballarat to, to face uh, Sydney FC on May 16. All in all, along that road trip, I worked it out. They played, they travelled for almost 10,000 kilometres, <laughs> approximately 9,600k uh, to play all these games. On some, the Brisbane surface they played on was very wet, very heavy. Uh, and by the end of it, uh, it, it sounded like the, the Western United players were completely uh, cooked coming into what was a huge game against Sydney, which they... Uh, promptly lost one uh, nil to a contentious VAR decision. Yeah, and that VAR decision—it's—it's it's like every sport, isn't it? That when things are going wrong, they're going wrong. I mean, even Adam Lafondra said he didn't think it was a penalty. So when you've got the bloke taking the spot kick, saying uh, publicly that he didn't think it was a penalty, then uh, you know you know you're struggling. But uh, in so far as uh, the, the question, what went wrong? How do you analyse it? Uh, you know, we did expect a lot. They—they they, uh, performed 
exceptionally well in that COVID season and uh, uh, and and could have uh, made the grand final, but uh, it's it's all fallen apart. Uh, you've explained the you know the travel etc. But uh, you know the the club um, you know uh, lineup is pretty much still the core that that um, that played the debut season. I think that might be one of the problems. You look at that core and you look at who are the biggest difference makers in it. And I think you're probably the two that you would have to say are perhaps uh, Bessart, Barisha and um, Alessandro Diamanti. The problem is Alessandro Diamanti is 38 years old, playing on these very short turnarounds, travelling a lot of distance. That might be a bit of a challenge. Bessart, Barisha is 35 years old. I mean, you look elsewhere on that side. Victor Sanchez is 33 years old. Um, Andrew Durante, who recently announced his retirement uh, from professional football at the end of the season, he's 39 years old. Now, they've got some very talented young players in there as well, the likes of uh, Dylan Perez, uh Lucky Wales, Ryan Scott, who's a goalkeeper, who's come through, he's good. But there's that challenge. There's also, I think their biggest problem this season has just been their inability to find consistency. On their day, um, with the coaching, the X's and O's ability of Mark Rudan and the talent that have gotten that side, uh, they're capable of beating anybody. And I mean, they are one of the sides that has beaten runaway league leaders Melbourne City this season um, by, you know, tactically setting up and working on a way to minimise City's strength. But the problem is they just haven't been able to consistently put out their best products on the park week after week after week. Um, uh, some of that, is, and some of that, you'd have to say, is probably due to the fact that, you know, as Mark Rudan has said this time this season, they're effectively playing without a home ground. They travel, they're a bit of a road show, they go to several different arenas, they can never really hang their hat, they, can't, they haven't been able to develop a proper home field advantage. So there's really a confluence of factors that have conspired to deny this side a sustained run of things, which, you know, maybe they're not capable of doing it thanks to that confluence of factors. But, you know, it's not really working for them this season. Joey, in terms of the club from a broader perspective, in his presser, Mark Rudin paid tribute to uh, chairman Jason Sarasas, CEO Chris Palavanis. They appear to be a tight-knit sort of side and club, even though they don't have many uh, supporters supporting them. You spend more time sort of in close proximity and in and around of the fringes to the club than most. I'm not asking you to sort of pump them up, but do you feel they're heading in the right direction as a, as a, as a broader unit? Um, well, I think the reason you see you're hearing pumping up his chairman and you see it gets back to what you said there's not a lot of fans uh, they don't have a lot of fans yet they're a they're a new side they're a building side they never they, they might never have uh, as many fans as it's in the FBL Melbourne victory but I think anybody that spent time that has has spent time online will see that they probably are one of if not the most targeted clubs for vitriol on social media yep. so it does go some way towards developing a bit of a siege mentality there. Um, I saw some comments in the wake of Rudan's uh, interview saying that it sounds like he's a man that's about to be sacked. I think it was more along the lines, because I have heard Rudan speak this way in the past, that they're trying to maybe create a siege mentality and us against the world, backs against the wall, what are we going to do? Now, um, if that works, I think uh, it will go well for them because talk about the direction they're going. I think on the field, they definitely are heading in the right direction. They have, on their day, they are capable of playing some great football. Um, yes, they've got a very ageing core, which will need to be replaced. If you even can replace somebody like Diamante, they will just have to maybe find 
a different player because you're never really going to replicate, especially in Australia, um, you're never going to replicate what Diamante brings. But they've got an academy now for the first time. They're bringing some young players through. That academy that they've got um, are one of the favourites for a promotion out of the NPL3 this season. They started really well. They've got some young players like uh, Lockie Wales, uh, Dylan Piraeus, who recently signed a new deal. Ryan Scott, their goalkeeper, I think 25-26, which is actually just a baby in goalkeeping terms. He signed a new deal. Uh, they recently were able to secure uh, young Delibor Markovic. So the seeds are there for them on the pitch. Um, but the biggest question with Western United for pretty much it, it, it's the elephant in the room whenever you're talking about Western United is when is that stadium going to be constructed? Um, when that stadium is constructed, uh, if or if slash when that stadium is constructed, it will make Western United probably one of the strongest sides in the competition because not only will that allow them to lay down roots, but they will be the only A-League side to own their actual stadium. They won't have to pay rent on it. It's theirs. You know, there are other sides that we can see do that in the lower tiers. I know Melbourne Knights are a famous one here in Victoria that own their own stadium. But at an A-League level, they will be the first. But the problem is, when is that going to happen? Um, the club are very insistent that they will hopefully break ground uh, in maybe July or August or, you know, some mid-year is what we keep hearing. Um, but until then... Um, they can say that we're going to do it, we're going to do it, and you can give them the benefit of the doubt, which I tend to do purely because of the fact that, you know, it's a development. They, they, uh, they've worked with Wyndham Council to develop it, um, so there's a lot of money to be made there. So I think at the end of the day, follow the money, and I think the financial benefits for the surrounding land means that the stadium will be built. Um, but until it is, they're going to have a real problem that I hearken back to is they'll never be able to find consistency. They can't really start building a proper partisan fan base until it's built. We will wait till that day. Came, the club came into the competition with so much optimism around that stadium and, uh, you know, we just don't know whether it's uh, it's this sort of oasis um, or whether it's really going to happen, do we, Joey? So hopefully it will and um, and it'll get them back on track and they can start to build that uh, that fan base that uh, all that hope was uh, built on originally. Joey Lynch, thank you very much for your time again, mate. We're really uh, grateful for uh, you joining us. No, thanks for having me, guys. Joey Lynch. Western United, where to from here? Well, we'll find out. They've got a big assignment against the Wellington Phoenix and that travel continues over across the pond. It uh, doesn't get any easier for them. OK, we've got Sam in the studio, Samantha Johnson. We uh, are looking forward to having a chat to her about her experience, not only in the US national setup, but um, but how she contrasts it to Australia as we look ahead to the Women's World Cup in 2023. Samantha Johnson, next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We've talked to Ron Tonyuk and Joey Lynch, but we've been waiting. Our guest has been listening uh, in the background, Samantha Johnson. Uh, she's a West Coast girl from California. She uh, has uh, played football all her life. Uh, played uh, for some of the big clubs over there in the uh, the National Women's Soccer League, Chicago Reds, and the Utah Royals. She's played for three clubs in Australia in the W League, Melbourne City, Sydney FC under Alan Stadich briefly and uh, and Melbourne Victory of course she played in all of the, the junior rep sides for the National Women's side. We've already welcomed you Samantha but um, we want to talk about you now. So uh, look the big question 
I guess everybody wants to ask a player um, when they're uh, you know well into their career is how did it all start? Who, who gave you that first round ball and and who inspired you to play football? So I don't have the best answer for it, but it's the <laughs> true answer, which is obviously I started playing soccer. Gosh, when I was four or five, when you can actually when you're allowed to play, like we have AY so back home, so little mm. kickers, we just kind of start there, but. I don't have a memory without a ball, so I kind of always say that the game chose me. <laughs> good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> it is a good answer. Sam, um, we've had an opportunity to have a chat. We, we covered a lot of ground uh, in our, uh, our chat last week, but one of the items that stood out for me was um, the system in America that produces players. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, anybody who has an interest in women's football in Australia, we do look to America as being a model, uh, as being an example. And uh, I want you to explain um, to the Australian listeners that are listening in, in here the the impact of college football on the success of the American national women's team and the National Women's Soccer League. Can you just explain in your own words uh, how important college football is to the ecosystem of women's football in America? Yeah, 100%. So first I'll just give you like a brief how the pathway actually works because it is quite different when I'm still trying to learn and understand how you guys' pathway works to the the professional league here. But So pretty much we play club, which I guess would equate to you guys' NPL. So we do the pathway that way, and then you go pretty much and get recruited to go to college and whatnot. So you have to, not the, the rules are changing now that you don't have to go to college anymore to play in the NWSL, I don't think, but um, you should, because it's only to your advantage to get your education, given that we don't get paid that much. So everyone pretty much, except like maybe the internationals who come from countries where they're, they've been professional since they're 15. So it's club, it's college, and then you enter the draft, and then you become professional. But I think that our bodies go through kind of just a different stage of development in college, because it's so much emphasis on fitness and strength and just being the fittest and fastest um, team and a lot of the, the winning mentality is established in college. So our peak actually as uh, female footballers is not even until we're like 25, 26. So we're really so much older than like probably the worldly competition that they face because they've been pro maybe two or three, four years where they're facing girls who are maybe 17, 18, 19 or maybe early 20s but been pro since 15. So they technically around the world have more I guess, experience at the professional level, but our bodies are more mature than everybody. So we kind of kind of just bully people, <laughs> to I think be that's, honest. That is the, uh, that's the takeout for the, when yeah. you watch the American National Women's Team. It's not only the, the tremendous talent and skill that you have, it's just the physical athleticism and, and fitness and power that seems to be not sort of 10 or 15% better than the other teams, much, much greater than that. And that's what I've, I've taken out of the last two World Cups. Um, tell us then how you reflect on your time here in Australia. I know for the professional internationals that come to play in Australia, it can be a good opportunity to have a bit of a break from the pressures of the Women's uh, League in America um, and also the, everything that goes with that, the intensity of training and so forth. So it, it is quite a step down. But can you tell us about your experience out here? Three clubs. You're not uh, Ruin Tonyuk, who we spoke to earlier, who had five clubs in the A League. You've got three clubs in the W League. But tell us about just um, you know what it's like as a, an American uh, professional football coming to play in the W League. Yeah, the W League, we all love the W League and we all fight for spots to get down here in the off season because it's such a good uh, way to stay fit year round. Um, we get to skip winter. So I played in Chicago. It's very cold there. So I got two summers a lot of the time, which is nice. But um, it was, I mean, yes, you can classify it as like maybe it's a step down, but it's also just a way for, we use it to just kind of decompress our brains mentally because it 
our season back home is nine months long. So it's kind of like, okay, we get to mentally re- relax, but still physically get get tested. And then also, I mean, I was fortunate enough. I think it was Alec, uh, Alan Stagic himself, actually, that maybe brought me to uh, Sydney FC the first time. So he kind of opened the door um, in my eyes to this league and using it as a like a real value and a tool for off-season for sure, yeah. Now, you did retire, um, but... Um you came back to football in Australia uh, with a different take on on what your future wanted to be. I, I read an article about your um, your youth program, the Better program, and um, you know some uh, of uh, you know the inspirational athletes who you've mentioned, like LeBron James, who were incidentally threw a incredible basket to to win that uh, nail biter against uh, the the Golden State Warriors for the Lakers uh, uh, yesterday so you know that that's your intention isn't it, it you you'd lost a bit of your mojo for football but but a different vision for where you wanted to take your career brought it back mm-hmm. yeah i think that my time away from the game just gave me time to align like who I was as a person um, on the field and who I was with the person off the field. So when I was playing before, I was basically two people. I was being kind of like Sam, the soccer player. And then when I left uh, training, I would go be like Sam, the mentor, basically. So I wasn't utilizing the game and like the people that I knew in the game to really propel me into the direction where I wanted to go, I guess, when I'm retired, so to speak. So but now I viewed it differently. So now I feel like I can like merge those identities pretty much and try to be um the person that helps the kids but also utilizes the game to change the game. So that's a legacy that, that you want to leave, not only to help youngsters but also to to show other athletes that, that they can be more rounded than the person that they identify with as a young Yeah, and person. you can do what you want when you're retired while you're playing pretty yeah, much, yeah. Because yeah. people were like, oh, what are you going to do when you retire? I'm like, I'm doing it now. Like I design programs for kids, mm. trying to start a school for kids doing all these mm. things at the moment because it's easier to do mm. it when you're playing and kind of lay the foundation and then utilize your network kind of like in professional sports to probably get some decision makers to give you some money. Yeah, we've come, <laughs> we're have we about 280-odd episodes into this show and uh, it's been a, a, a badge of honour for us that we've we've covered uh, the women's game equally to the men's game over that journey. And uh, and what we're just loving now is seeing the, the emergence of uh, of young programs more and more so these days and that um, inspirational play like yourself are showing young girls uh, where their pathway can take them and that they can actually have a career in the sport that they love but it doesn't just have to be identified as uh, as, as kicking a ball it mm. can be more broad than that mm-hmm. yeah there's plenty um, of opportunities in the game you don't have to just be a player you can be a player for a short time but you can live in the game forever this is Box to Box. We're talking to Samantha Johnson. She's over here from California. It's her third club, Melbourne City. She played in the US National Women's uh, League and uh, has been a star around the world. And we're delighted to have her to share her insights into her career and football in general. One of the other takeouts from our discussion last week was just how America views the Olympic Games in the context of women's football. Here in Australia, um, the Olympic Games is a big event for the mainstream population. For our football community, we understand that uh, the teams that make the Olympic Games are not necessarily the best football teams in the world because they they come from regions. There's only 12 teams. And in America, there's a big debate at the moment actually whether the national team should go to the Olympics. A lot of people suggest it should be the the younger team that goes to as a development opportunity. Can you talk talk us through how football views the Olympic Games in the context of the World Cup? Yeah, I think that US soccer just uses it as another stage to stand on pretty much. Um, I think that it is a good opportunity for the brand to get shown and to win Olympic gold and whatever, but it does kind of deter um, 
the actual progression of the young ones because you don't want to be at your first time putting on your you know your kit at, as a national team player at the World Cup. Like that's definitely not the first time you want to make a debut. You want to have kind of games under your belt. You want to go through a tournament similar style, and so you kind of I think they need to model it a little bit like they do the men's side because the men obviously they send the 23s all the time. So it's just giving people more opportunity, and then I think they can just focus on where football actually exists, which is the World Cup. Well, that's a good segue to talk about Australia's development pathway because you've you've seen a lot here and you've got a, an affinity with Australia, no doubt. Um, I've Obviously, um, the Matildas have uh, a depth problem. Um, there is some, you know, our first first 11 um, on the, any given day can do quite well and, and compete with the top 10 nations in the world most of the time. We haven't really delivered at World Cup, but it seems that we have a, a problem with our depth. Um, should the Olympic Games be a development uh, project for the Matildas um, in, in order to, to blood and, um, and bring players along in relation to World Cup success or, or should it just be our best team? Um, I think it should be – well, I actually don't want to answer that question because I actually think you should flip your youth system that you have here. We'll and talk about that, yeah. Yeah, so like I don't – because I don't want to say, oh, America shouldn't send their team, but you guys should. You know what I'm saying? Like, I actually just don't think soccer should be <laughs> in the yeah, Olympics yeah. altogether. However, um, so going to just stray away from that question just because I feel like your NPL system and the W League is backwards. So, like, NPL is, like, eight or nine months long, which is exactly the time frame that we play end of a cell. But I feel like that's an opportunity where you can invest more money or – whatever funnel the talent and develop the talent through there because you have them for longer and then w league is probably just kind of just a off-season bit that maybe people want to do or people don't do i just feel like it's a, the system's a little bit backwards and the the you know lack of amount of talent that you already have to work with is going to show at the next level when the current players retire and um, and speaking of, of national sides, you, you know that uh, we now have uh, Tony Gustafsson uh, heading up the Matildas, uh, very well known to uh, uh, the American system, the assistant coach to Jill Ellis during many of the glory years of uh, World Cup wins and gold medals and, and so on. Uh, uh, he certainly got a rude shock with the first two <laughs> matches uh, uh, when uh, he, I, th- I think, probably expected, as we all did, um, the Matildas to do a little bit better. But there were circumstances around that. The, the European teams that they played uh, uh, had, had the opportunity to play competitive matches and we couldn't get all of our, our, our squad there. But uh, um, we know you want to be diplomatic, but our expectations for the Medildas are gold medals and World Cup wins. Always, um, yeah. Do you think that's realistic? I think it is realistic based on that you have the best forward in the world on your team at the moment. So I feel like you have a personality like Sam, a player like Sam Kerr. Like she can pretty much be unstoppable at any moment. But then I also think it's just unfair to the team that they haven't had the opportunity to be together. Um, and obviously those results that they took, those are hard. But at the same time, I hope they don't feel like that that's what their worth is. That you know. What are, what are we missing, though? What, what, Edge and you talked about uh, the physical strength. And, yeah. And, and well, I think the team that you guys have now is the team to do it, mm. to produce. So it would be unfortunate if you don't because when those players retire, you don't have anything after that because mm. nothing as strong as what you have now is coming up through the ranks. But that's showing like the system, the flaw in the system that you have at the youth level. I think Samantha makes a good point, Rob. The, the NPL is where players do develop. Um, and 
uh, we need to strengthen that. And one of the ideas we sort of talked about was there are so many college players that are clearly uh, better than what we have here in Australia that don't necessarily figure in national team considerations in America. And if we can attract some of those to play in the NPL with increased visa spots and some incentives at NPL level from state federations, that will help... Um, improve the standard of the NPL and, and give a better development pathway. So there's, there's lots of big structural things that need to happen. But, Samantha, I just want you to uh, reflect on your time here in Australia, a California girl. What's it been like um, hanging out in Melbourne and Sydney? And Melbourne's a bit like your second home now, but just um, <laughs> what do you tell people back home when they say, what's Australia like? Is there kangaroos bouncing down Burke Street? <laughs> that, is, that is something that I get a lot. Most people that want to ask me about the spiders, to be honest, um, <laughs> about the huntsmen and whatnot. And luckily, I haven't seen too many this year. I should probably knock I on wood. I haven't seen a red back on the toilet seat. Look, I've <laughs> <laughs> stopped. I can't even think about it, to be honest. I just try to pretend that it's not a thing. <laughs> but I'm very, very glad I'm here. I always get to come back here, and I think I'm very lucky. And I really, really always enjoy my time here in Melbourne. Well, you're going to stay around with us for the second hour, Samantha, but it's just a delight to, to have you on and uh, and share your experience. Uh, we love talking about football, women's and men's football on this show, and uh, we're sure that our listeners uh, have enjoyed uh, this chat over the past 15 minutes. So all right, we'll stick around. We've got a busy next hour coming up. We've got Stephen Warnock coming on. Uh, he's, uh, well, certainly one of my favourite players, a former Liverpool man. He played for England. Uh, the uh, pointy end of the Premier League is coming up this weekend. We'll chat to him about that and the Euros. We'll talk more Europe with Dino and Dell and wrap it all up with stoppage time and Samantha will stick around with us for all of that. Stay with us on Box to Box after the break. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sports Second Edition News with Willem van Denderen shortly and all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas. We'll talk to Stephen Warnock, ex-Liverpool man. Well, he played for plenty of clubs as well as England. Uh, the Premier League wraps up this weekend. The Euros are on soon. We'll talk more Europe with Dino and Derek and we will wrap it up with stoppage time. We've still got Samantha Johnson in the studio, so she'll stick around with us for this full hour. But Willem, uh, uh, far away with uh, the news, my friend. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army to start, Rob. As we know, the international calendar of our national teams is packed over the next few years, so there will be no better time to tour with the Green and Gold Army. Make sure you're on the mailing list for info on all future tours. Sign up at ggatravel.com.au. The Matildas will continue their Olympic preparation with a friendly against one of the sides they'll face in the group stage, Sweden. The match will be played in Kalmar on June 16, with the fifth-ranked Swedes to be the side's third opponent under Tony Gustafsson. Guys, is that a little bit strange that they'll be playing a side that they're going to face in the competition proper just a couple of months out? Not really, because I think he'll be using that to um, effectively decide on his squad. No doubt he'll be probably, he's probably got, uh, we need to take 18 players and he's probably got maybe 12 or 14 ones that he's prepared to ink in and then the, the others he'll need to make a decision. So that game will be important. I don't think it's an issue that they're uh, going to play each other twice. No, I don't think so at all. And I think it's quite common to actually see the team that you're going to face in the tournament. Steph Catley continues to build up her minutes in preparation for that match and beyond, having started for Arsenal in their 9-0 thumping of Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. That clash was Joe Montemuro's final game in charge, with the Aussie boss linked to the vacant Juventus women's job throughout the week. In Sweden, Emily Gilnick was on the score sheet again for Vizio in their 4-0 win over AIK. 
today with Claire Polkinghorne keeping a clean sheet in defence. To the Gents, the uh, Oli Roos, Daniel Arzani's been named in the 23-man squad for the four upcoming friendlies in Marbella. The side will play Ireland, Saudi Arabia, Romania and Mexico from June the 2nd with Gary Van Egmont and Trevor Morgan in charge while Graham Arnold is with the senior side. Others to have been called up, Michael, include Caleb Watts, Denny Urich, Ryan Teague and Panos Armenikas. Also, uh, Jacob Italiano to Borussia Mönchengladbach got a call up. But Caleb Watts is the one that everybody's really itching to see. He debuted for Southampton in the Premier League this year. It will be uh, a great uh, thrill for him to uh, play for the Oli Roos, no doubt. And he's one that's come from the clouds. So um, we're looking forward to seeing him. And who knows whether he might uh, sneak it through to the Socceroos as well in uh, in the coming months based on his form with Southampton. And we've got a couple of senior Socceroos to round off on. Firstly, Al Mabil is not happy at Michelin, feeling he's been underappreciated this season after turning down a move to Belgium last season. He started just nine times in 42 games. That's uh, something that slipped my attention. So expect him to move on shortly. Jackson Irvine and Martin Boyle will this weekend contest the Scottish Cup final for Hibernian against St Johnston. And Rob, wouldn't that be a great reward for Jackson after the difficult 12 months he's had to uh, cup off that long wait with a bit of silverware? Exactly, and they're going to play in Europe as well. It's been uh, a fantastic return for Jackson, really, hasn't it? And, and that combination that he's uh, struck up with Martin Boyle uh, is is just so key. And we talked to Arnie about uh, the Socceroos a couple of weeks ago. We didn't want to specifically talk about individual players when we were talking to him, but uh, he would surely be having his eye on that one uh, as a, an important um, combination to, uh, to slot into the Socceroos. Sam, uh, you would have noticed that um, Steph Catley got a, uh, some game time for Arsenal, but the scoreline was 9-0, and there is in the women's uh, game in, in England, obviously there's a lot of focus on the women's game in England because uh, Sam Kerr, Emily Van Egmond, obviously Steph Catley, Chloe Legazo at different times. There's been a lot of Australians playing in that league, but there is some cricket scores, um, or baseball scores, we should say to you. say cricket scores. Yeah. <laughs> there is some big scores, so there is uh, obviously strong teams and not-so-strong teams, and um, I'm, I'm surprised to see in a, in a FA Cup final a score of 9-0. I don't think I'm that surprised. But again, I think that the English side, especially their youth side, they're, they've changed a lot of rules where they have to keep um, the locals in place. And so when you bring internationals such as the Matildas, um, they definitely bring the level up for sure. But I'm happy to hear that Steph's back on the pitch. And just to finish on soccer is Matilda Central. Thomas Deng has finally returned for Uwa after a long stint on the sidelines uh, in Japan. So that's great to see ahead of the Oli Roos um, Olympics tournament. And we should acknowledge the international retirement of Mitch Langerak as well. He's chosen to stay with his family in Japan instead of spending extensive periods in quarantine over the next little while. Whether there's anything else to that story, no one's totally sure. People like to have a few conspiracies around that, but I'm extremely disappointed. A week on, would have loved to have seen him play even a couple more times for the Socceroos. Yeah, we would, but uh, you know these decisions happen uh, like in, in all of our lives. Uh, life is complicated and uh, and sometimes things happen that uh, you want to keep private and uh, and maybe this is one of those scenarios. So uh, all we say, I guess, is uh, we, we wish him all the best and his family all the best and hopefully whatever's going on uh, you know, can settle down and, uh, and then uh, if football becomes a part of his future again, then uh, he'll be welcome back because uh, he's a world-class player. Willem, he was definitely number two in my mind. Uh, he, he'd sort of risen to that point and he was probably going to challenge Matt Ryan because Matt had that period of time where he, where he was not playing. So there's got to be more to this story that that, that he has uh, retired from international football. Maybe something's happened. Look, we absolutely don't know, but there's got to be something to it. But who is the number two now? 
Oh, I think the number two now would have been Danny Vukovic, but he hasn't played in, in a fair while. The uh, the number two and three that I'd be taking would be Mark Birrigidi and a man who doesn't get enough of mention, Lawrence Thomas. Yeah, he's, had a, he's had a wonderful, wonderful season in Denmark. His team has uh, been in the relegation hunt the whole time. And and my there's mail no, from... No, no, no more no, courageous they're on, the edge of the, they're on the edge of the, the top four. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, so he's had a good season. Yeah, but, but there's no more courageous a, a, a goalkeeper than Lawrence Thomas, is there? He uh, he goes in hard and uh, he, yeah, if he gets do, the opportunity... He does too, yeah. I know they all do, but but I, I just remember some moments with the victory where, uh, you know, I mean, he, he, he had no respect for his body, that bloke. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be getting him over to Q8 pronto. Uh, silverware starting to be dished out around Juventus. Uh, sorry, around Europe. Juventus have claimed their 14th Coppa Italia title after beating Atalanta 1-0 in the final in what was Andrea Pirlo's first major silverware for the club. But heading into the final round of the Serie Juve find themselves a point out of the top four behind winners Inter, then Atalanta, Milan and Napoli. They'll travel to Bologna on the final day of the season and will need to win and hope that either Napoli lose to Verona or more likely that Milan lose to Atlanta. Rob, you've had your eye on the uh, the Italian game this week. Yeah, I have, and uh, I watched that uh, match against Inter last week. Unbelievable. It, it was an incredible match, me, because, uh, look, I confess, I recorded the FA Cup and that match, so I was watching it at about lunchtime. Uh, but uh, just amazing. They, they both ended up with 10 men. Uh, there, there were, uh, obviously, send-offs. There were, uh, there were penalties. There were, you know, just outrageous moments happening throughout. But uh, as a Juventus fan, uh, myself, uh, the black and white, um, the... Uh, uh, the old lady really is uh, is finding a way. Look, the only thing is, you know, I just uh, I, I still feel that as one of the prime movers of the whole Super League, there's a serendipity about this. That oh, yeah, is, uh, is there qualify. karma involved in this at yeah, all? Exactly. <laughs> Over to Spain, Atletico Madrid need only to beat Valladolid on the final day to win the La Liga after two late goals against Osasuna revived their campaign. Atleti were down a goal and were actually leapfrogged by Real Madrid for 20 minutes in live standings, but late goals to Renan Lodi and Luis Suarez pulled them out of the fire. Cautious approach, safety first, up the line now for Carrasco. Low cross, opportunity! It just had to be! <laughs> late, late drama! And Luis Suarez puts Atleti in front for the first time today! A colossal goal in the title race! Suarez! Only Real remain as a contender should Atletico slip up. They will need to win at home to Villarreal to remain a chance. And both of those matches, Michael, are at 2am Eastern on Monday morning. Fascinating finish in Spain as well. Yeah, looking forward to that. How's your Spanish, Samantha? Um, it's actually pretty good because I grew up in Los Angeles, so I think I'll be able to get around... Did but I, pro- I need to become fluent, to be honest. So, it's a bit, did yeah. I pronounce those city names? Okay. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask. What? Yeah, he does pro- William does pride himself on his pr- pronunciation. Oh, you've got it. Come on back yourself. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Squads for the European Championships are beginning to take shape, with Yogi Lowe naming Thomas Muller and Mats Hummels in his German squad. Lowe had effectively ended their careers in March 2019 as he looked to regenerate the squad, but has reneged as he looks to win what will be his final tournament in charge. He's also selected 18-year-old Jamal Muziala, who's chosen Germany over England and Nigeria, but will be without Marc-Andre Tostagen. Rob, not a bad couple to uh, to welcome back, and France versus Germany looms as 
possibly the first big clash of the Euros they'll be facing off in the first uh, few matches. Yeah, and it's the end of an era. One of the great international coaches of, of uh, not just modern football, but of all time, Yogi Lowe. He's, uh, uh, he's done it all. I still remember uh, back in that uh, 2006 World Cup where he was uh, to IC to Jürgen Klinsmann and that young German team at the time looked like they, they could have gone all the way as Damien, our producer, points to the, uh, the uh, front page that he's got framed here in the studio of Italy ending up winning that tournament, which Australia, of course, should have won. I mentioned that last week. But, um, yeah, it, it's um, demand shaft is always dangerous. And when you put two players of that kind of experience back into the side, stiffen up the defence, then, uh, you know, you, you know that uh, they are going to turn up. And uh, I know we're going to talk to Stephen Warnock about England's chances and they fancy themselves, but uh, never count out the Germans. And Muller and Hummels won't be the only big-name returnees to the international stage. Karim Benzema has been brought back in from the cold after almost six years mm. since his last match for France. He hasn't played since that infamous blackmail scandal in 2015, for which he will stand trial in October. Of course, he missed the 2018 World Cup triumph. Another man who missed that win will miss again, unfortunately. Anthony Martial has been sidelined through injury. And Michael, as has Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Just months after making the international comeback to play at this very tournament, he's going to have to sit it out. Yeah, that's a disaster for Zlatan. We we obviously love his uh, complete um, the package that is Ibrahimovic. He he just absolutely creates a few headlines, doesn't he, Sam? You would have loved some of his finest work in the media and on the field. I was going to say which which part, but yeah, he actually had a good little run in America. Actually, did, people were very very impressed with him on and off the field. He said some strange things, but I think that maybe he lacks confidence though. You know what? He needs to donate some, honestly. <laughs> He does. Uh, just while Sam's here, we've got a couple of a little bit of W League news. Perth Glory, who were the salad dwellers, have made two interesting signings. I noticed uh, uh, during the week, Sam. So Nat Tobin, who played every game for Sydney last year in their uh, in the heart of their defence, uh, underrated player. She's going to play for Perth. That's a bit of a surprise to me. But the other one's not so much. Morgan Aquino, who did so well in goal for Brisbane Roar, who made the semi-finals. Uh, she's going home. She's a Perth girl. But Nat Tobin leaving. Uh, Sydney FC going yeah, to Perth. That's, that's a bit of an interesting decision. surprising. Yeah. I wonder what happened there. I yeah, just want to dig a little a deeper on that, yeah. huh? I thought okay. you might be interested in that yeah, story. there's some Samantha gossip behind Johnson. there. <laughs> Investigative reporter. Yeah, exactly. That's right. All right, guys. Well, um, that was... Uh, a good yarn. Well done, Willem. Uh, nice news. And Sam has just sitted into the hot seat, fitted into the hot seat, just like a pro, as we expected that you would. Uh, okay, we're going to talk to Stephen Warnock after the break. Uh, the Premier League is coming to a head. The Euro's not far away. Uh, the world is starting to correct itself now that Liverpool are in the top four, which is a good thing for everybody. And I'm sure everyone out here, as the boys, uh, poor faces at me, agree. Well, if you don't, I don't really care. Listen to Stephen Warnock. He's next after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. A busy first hour, but uh, we are so pumped with the Premier League coming to a conclusion this weekend. The fans are back in the stadiums, and then we've got the Euros to look forward to. And who better to talk about it? He's a BBC pundit. He played for England and many, many hundreds of games for various clubs, including Liverpool. Stephen Warnock, how are you, mate? Good morning. I'm very good, thank you. Hey, Stephen. Uh, yeah. Sp- speaking of the mighty Reds, uh, well, let's get started with them. Uh, after that horror stretch mid-season as the Premiership defence just fell apart, uh, look, who would have thought that they'd go on this run and then other results started to come their way and uh, they've got uh, their fate in their own hands? Yeah, I think it's, it shows you the mental strength that they've been able to turn it round. 
there's no getting away from the fact it was uh, a terrible slump in form for whatever reason that I might have been. I think when you look at who Jurgen Klopp tried to trust in the in the centre of defence, he tried Fabinho there for a long time. I think the problem he felt he had was Fabinho was still his best centre back, um, and he didn't trust others around him. But you look at the form um, and the the coming to coming to presence of, of Nat Phillips has just been incredible. Uh, the way he's played, the way he's stepped up, and since Fabinho's gone back into centre midfield. Liverpool have gone on this great run and uh, and picked and picked up and like you say, give themselves every chance of uh, of getting qualifying for for Champions League. Stephen, um, how do you assess Liverpool's season then in that case? Because obviously they've gone from the euphoria of being champions. Um, they are, you know, they really slipped down the pecking order, and of course this this late run led by Mo Salah amongst others. You know, do you still think this is quote unquote a good season for Liverpool or do you still think there needs to be a lot of questions asked uh, about what happened this season? I think if they if they don't get in the Champions League then there'll be big questions asked. If they get in the Champions League I think it'll all be forgotten because it's almost well we can still attract players you've still got the biggest competition in the world at Anfield next season. So that ticks up that ticks boxes financially it helps the club. But when you look at what's happened off the pit, uh, on the pitch, when you look at the injuries that they've sustained, um, I'm not sure many clubs could cope with it. There was a comment from from Gary Neville not so long ago saying, "Okay, they've they've lost Van Dyke, but they've capitulated." And they and then a week, about a week ago, when Harry Maguire stepped out the team, he was almost in a meltdown that Manchester United weren't able to cope without Harry Maguire. Um, so it just shows you what your best defenders do for a team they organise it they give you stability at the back they allow you to play a different style um, so any team is going to miss Van Dijk but Joe Gomez is a huge player for Liverpool as well um, he was hugely instrumental in Liverpool's title win last season Joel Matip the season before helped them win the Champions League so they're, they're key key players and then he's had to um, move the pieces around to try and fit accordingly and hasn't been able to do so but I do think Long term, Liverpool need a bit of a shake up in the squad. There needs to be a few players moved on, um, and then quality additions added. Because what we do see with Liverpool is is that the starting eleven will compete with anyone's, but then the squad. When you look at Manchester City's squad, they're not capable of competing at that level um, throughout the season and the Champions League. When we look at the Premier League in general, Stephen, there's obviously a, a lot of clubs, big clubs that have underperformed this season. Liverpool, even if they do finish in the Champions League, you'd say that finishing 17 points potentially behind Manchester City, having won the league the season before, is, is, a, is, a, is an underperformance. But where else are you looking to? Is it Arsenal languishing in ninth with the fifth highest wage bill in the league? Or is it even... Everton with you know a great squad and a great manager, or even Tottenham, whose seasons managed to unemployed. Who do you think are the the biggest underachievers? Yeah, um, we we talk about Liverpool and how bad the title defence is. Let's not forget Manchester City, who set a, got over a, a big points tally the year before when they won the league, fell eighteen points behind Liverpool in defending the title. It can happen, and it does happen. Um, and Liverpool have done that with injuries as well. Arsenal have got massive problems, uh, huge problems. They need to sort the ownership out. Uh, I think when you've been in a club and you understand what it's like to, to be in and around that environment, it becomes very uh, hostile. It's not nice when the fans are turned up to every ground, protesting week in, week out. You're constantly getting dragged through the media about what's happening, what's going on. 
There's been talk that Stan Kroenke will invest heavily in the summer, whether that happens or whether that's just to appease the fans short term. But they've got they've got problems. The squad's not strong enough. Um, it's a young squad, which is which is okay in the short term. But you've got to have experienced players in and around um, doing better. I think the other one is is Spurs. What happens if they lose Harry Kane? Um, where do they go from there? How how will they, the money be invested? They still don't have a manager, which I find very strange. Um, I'm always of the mindset when if you're going to sack a manager towards the end of the season. Bring someone in who can assess the players that are there to give them the opportunity to impress, to see if he can get something out of them that perhaps other managers couldn't. Um, and get yourself set up as a club because what you need at a football club is stability and people will be looking at that coming in um, to Tottenham. They'll be thinking, well, we need stability behind the scenes. And at the moment, it looks a little bit messy. Um, Everton, the local neighbours for Liverpool, started the, the season like a whirlwind. Everton fans got a little bit carried away and I think the media did as well. And they've tailed off again, almost like Liverpool. They have a very strong start in 11, but then suffer after that. I think the one thing I would say about Everton is is that they need speed within the squad. They've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison and often those two players run away from the rest of the teams, uh, the players. And no one else can keep up. So I'd expect heavy investment within the squad at Everton as well in the summer. It's hard to reflect on this season without sort of uh, the shadow of COVID over the top of it. But I just want to get your personal reaction and that also the reaction of people that you talk to in the industry about the fans being back in the stadiums. Um, just, you know, over here in Australia, we've lived a, a lucky almost COVID uh, free existence in, a, in Fortress Australia with the borders uh, well and surely up. But... Uh, Back home, the fans in the stadium, and it was almost as, almost as if players, when they scored a goal, were surprised with the noise. Uh, did you get that impression? Well, I, w- I was very fortunate to be at the Manchester United game um, on Tuesday night when Cavani scored that absolute wonder goal. And myself and Ian Dennis were working for Five Live. We almost sat back after it and just enjoyed it. We almost smirked at each mm-hmm. other. We'd missed it so much. It was so. You, what you you have to understand is. We turn up and we get adrenaline ourselves as pundits and as commentators, as co-commentators. We, As we're walking into the ground, there's a packed atmosphere. You're walking through the streets, you're walking through the crowds, you're chatting to fans, you're getting a, a feel of how they feel before the game. And you use this within your commentary. When you turn up at the moment, it's so quiet. It's like a, it, it, There's obviously no one there. You're not allowed to go into the media room to catch up with people, to have chats about certain players and how they've been performing if you've missed how they've done in the last couple of weeks and it's been difficult for us to get up for the games as well I'd I'd hate to feel uh, or wonder how the players have felt during it because to be stepping out onto the pitch and to be hearing every word that's said on the pitch um, it must be it must be very difficult for them and I think now more so than ever you the, the players will appreciate the fans and the fans will appreciate the players as well and and what the game is all about, because even when even when we were at Old Trafford the other night, and it came out for the warm up, you could see the players on their faces, the the smiles it brought to them. It was it was incredible to watch, and uh, it was spine tingling. It was it was just one of those moments where I'll never forget it again, because I, I feel fortunate that I was in the stadium to witness that. So I just hope people understand what it means to the players as well. 
Absolutely. And just while you were talking about Old Trafford, that Cavani goal and the response of the crowd, it was a, a moment for the Premier League, no doubt about it. But tell us about the atmosphere in the ground. Lots of green and gold scarves. Uh, you talked about Arsenal's ownership issues. We know the uh, the gulf in uh, in the relationship between the American owners and, uh, um, and obviously the Manchester United fans. So what can you tell us about the lead-up to that game, the atmosphere in the game, and uh, and uh, what do you think might happen at Manchester United, in in particular the, the relationship between the owners and the, and the, and the fans? The relationship is fractured. Um, there's, a, there's a problem there. I think when you look at what Manchester United want and they just want uh, communication, the Glazers aren't going to sell. No one's going to put that money up quickly anyway. They'll be there for the long term. It's a huge investment for them. They're making good money out of it. But the protests the other night weren't over the top. It was just every now and again there was a song coming out. There was meant to be some kind of protest on 51 Minutes. And it was quite interesting that when 51 Minutes came, Bruno Fernandes got a free kick of 20 yards out. Well, suddenly the protest didn't happen because all eyes were on Bruno Fernandes and what was going to happen on the free kick. So maybe that helped in a way. Um, but it was just the holding of the boards up saying, go. They were the, 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 That was the big word on the board. Um, but like I say, a few songs here and there. Whether anything happened outside, we're unsure of. Um, but on a whole... The atmosphere felt fine. Uh, it didn't feel bad at all. Well, the last thing we needed was for the fans to, to stop another game, so thank God they didn't get that done. Mate, before we let you go, Stephen, uh, we're all looking forward to the Euros um, postponed from 2020. It seems like uh, we're going to see fans in, in most of the stadiums, uh, and it wouldn't be a major tournament without England getting excited about bringing uh, the trophy home again. So <laughs> it's starting to build. I'm hearing talk about favouritism. It's all starting to happen, mate. Yeah, we're starting to get carried away. We've got the best young English squad we've ever had. We've got talent that should win it. And I remember hearing this about the golden generation years ago. Um, I, I think it's it's one of those at the moment. Everyone knows which team that they should be picking and which Gareth Southgate should be picking. I don't know whether you guys know it. The biggest talking point at the moment is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yes, yes. Um, there's been quite a lot of talk about him not even making the squad. That's been a report this week, even though he's been... In, in, in the rich vein of form of late and arguably one of Liverpool's standout players in the last couple of months since his admission from the uh, from the England squad. But yeah, I mean, we're all getting excited. We all want England to do well. I think the big thing is, is that we want a competition that has fans in the ground. That's why we all tune in. That's why we, we watch these games is for the atmospheres, the players thrive off it. Hopefully we can we can see some of that. I do think there's still a lot of it is up in the air as to how it's going to work. Uh, I know that from um, sort of being in the media and, and and what they're trying to how they're trying to position people logistically. So let's have some exciting football. And and from my point of view, I hope England can uh, can obviously progress the the final at least, and and we see where we go from there. Well, the, since the Aussies aren't in it, mate, we'll jump on your bandwagon and uh, hope you do well. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And that's a rare thing, as you can tell, because the ashes are coming later and we certainly won't be in that corner uh, when that time comes around, mate. Uh, we love listening to you. <laughs> Brilliant. It's, uh, we're very fortunate we get to listen to, to you on BBC Sounds in Australia and uh, and these days the matches are no longer geo-blocked, so we can you know almost listen. We wake up in the morning or in the middle of the night and tune in and, uh, and love your work, Stephen. So uh, uh, keep it up, mate, and, um, and thanks so much for joining us on, on Box to Box down here in Australia. 
Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me on. Speak to you soon. All the best. He's a legend. Stephen Warnock played for England. He played for Liverpool. He played for a stack of clubs, and he's one of the best pundits that there is. All right, stick around. We're going to talk more Europe. Uh, we're going to go a little more widely with uh, um, the season wrapping up in uh, in England, but um, there's also a few other competitions uh, coming to a very pointy end after this on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It's been a fun show this week. We don't often have uh, guests of the calibre of Samantha Johnson uh, in the studio, and she's been a wonderful guest, Samantha. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm having fun. Uh, good stuff. Well, we're going to talk some more stuff. Uh, going on in Europe. It's the big uh, Premier League season ending. But before we do, our very good friends at Chemist Warehouse want to let you know that it's halftime, half price on big brand vitamins and big brand cosmetics. Get your Swiss, your Go Healthy, Nature's Own, Blackmore, Synovus, Inner Health, Ethical Nutrients, BioGlan Thompson. There was waiting for the sound effects from Edge. Nature's Way, Life Space, Neutral Life, Caruso's, everything you need to get, half price vitamins. I always stock up with my vitamins, Woo-hoo. my vitamin B on the Swiss you got to get down to Chemist Warehouse to get it or go to your nearest store, chemistwarehouse.com.au. That's where you'll find it. The big brand cosmetics, L'Oreal, Maybelline, Nude by Nature, Rimmel, Revlon, Sally Hansen, OPI. They've got the lot. The lowest prices uh, every single day at Chemist Warehouse. Do you know what Sam Johnson said to me earlier? She said, only if, if only we did had um, Chemist Warehouse in, in California. She, oh well, she's a smart woman, Samantha Johnson. You can get it, whatever you like at Chemist Warehouse. Okay. I do love Chemist Warehouse. Yeah, there's all your gear would be there. Mm. All the different shades of foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha, don't blush, Michael. Um, now, Derek and Dino are on the line. Derek, um, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Glad to be back on with, with Dino and, of course, uh, Samantha as well. Looking forward to it. Far away, mate. Where are you going to take us? Dino, let's quickly talk about the FA Cup final and Leicester because it's been a bit of an up and down week for them. Obviously, scenes at Wembley, a new name on the trophy after a long history, but, you know, same opposition and now the Champions League is out of their hands. What do you think they're thinking now? I thought, you know, with the owner or the owner's son who's in charge now, I thought it was really fitting with the manager and all the players of how much it meant to Leicester City. They've been to many cup finals and, and, and come short, but finally got one. And then, as you say, a few days later, re- replay them in a in a league fixture, and all of a sudden you, you drop out for the first time. I think it's there's only been three weeks after, or three weeks have been out of the top four, something like just over a year. And of course, we know Liverpool overnight got the result as well, so they're now in the driving seat along with a rejuvenated Chelsea to take that top four spot. And Leicester are looking for a, a slip up, and they're playing Spurs on the last day of the season. But there's permutations all the way through the European places, Dino. I mean, unbelievably, Arsenal can still finish sixth from ninth well, position it- at the moment. That's right, but also you can also get, if you look at it from a different point of view, Chelsea get beat on the weekend. They could actually fall out if Liverpool and Leicester get their result. A couple of words on Roy Hodgson. I met Roy in Perth when uh, he was a Fulham manager. It was with Wolves um, when Wayne Hennessy was there. So I went over there to, to meet Wayne for the first time, obviously my second cousin. Uh, but I met Roy there as well. And uh, look, really got nice guy. I mean, I think he's been a valuable to the game and and you know his tenure's most probably come to an end now but I think if you look back at it you know the amount of games he's coached and the places he's coached all around the world 
um, yeah, you've just got to have respect for him. My memories of Roy Hodgson, Dino, were uh, in one of the gigs he, when he was coaching Fulham, he avoided relegation on the final day, I believe, and when he was asked after the match what he was going to do to celebrate, he said, oh, I'm going to, have, going to go home and have a cup of tea with my wife. <laughs> I think I might have had a bit more than that. You would have, but he didn't. <laughs> oh, no, but he didn't. <laughs> At the other end of the scale, uh, Dino, um, you've got a 28-year-old manager still in charge of Spurs, and of course their season is in danger of being an absolute write-off and then the news obviously breaking this week that Harry Kane is potentially on the move as well um, so a, ba- a bad week for Spurs I think as well West Ham can still qualify for uh, for, for Europe it won't be the Champions League I think that would have been premature no. for them anyway but they they've still got a chance of Europe and I hope I hope they get there and of course um, bye bye for Big Sam, who was at the end of the at the other end of the West Ham win. He's off. He says he's only a short term manager. What do you think of that? Look, I mean, he's most probably gone into lots of jobs like that to try and rescue the the package, and and, and he'd never been relegated in the times he's he's done that. But obviously this year he has. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, I don't know where where Sam fits now, but I mean, obviously he gave it a little bit of a go, but. Most probably that the damage was already done, and um, I'd be surprised if he does get another job. Brighton, the fantastic win over Manchester City. Uh, I want to call out Joe Willock on loan uh, at Newcastle from Arsenal. He scored his sixth game in a row. He's the youngest player to do that in Premier League history. Uh, those games to look out for this final weekend then Aston Villa and Chelsea. Leicester City versus Tottenham. Liverpool will play at home to to Roy's Crystal Palace. That's a good tribute to go back to probably the pinnacle of his managerial career there at Liverpool. And West Ham United will play Southampton. So it's going to be interesting. Hoping to get into the Premier League, Dino. Uh, uh, The playoff playoff hopefuls. It's all finally finally balanced, isn't it? It's advantage Bournemouth and advantage Swansea. But can you see anything changing? Look, I'm pretty confident... um, I think Brentford can turn that around, but it won't be easy. But I think in regards to the Barnsley Swansea, I think especially getting you know the win away from home. I think when they take them back to South Wales, I think they'll finish the job and they'll definitely be in the final. But the other one's going to be. A, I think there's a lot to play in the other one. I think that's the more interesting one of the two. Let's keep moving. Uh, talking about the Premier League. Um... Uh, we've also found out that there's more inductees into the Hall of Fame that they recently launched. Uh, Eric Cantona, Roy Keane, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard and Dennis Bergkamp will join Alan Shearer and Thierry Henry in the Hall of Fame. And I want to ask Samantha about Hall of Fames because it is a bit of a North American concept, but I believe, Samantha, you're not a fan. No, I'm definitely not a fan of this concept in football because are they going to go back to like the start of time? I don't understand. There's just too many legends, I think. There's too much research, there's too much everything. You can't just start inducting legends. The only people that can judge the football players now are the stalker gods. So if you're not one of them, then you can't do it. Yeah, I I 100% agree. I mean, it's going to cause all sorts of problems with fans going, well, what about our players? It Mm -hmm. seems quite elitist. And, you know, who, who gets to decide who's a legend and who's not? And, yes, these are the most celebrated players in the land, potentially. But that doesn't, you know, what about a player that played in the lower half of the league but had a great career? Does that mean they're not a legend? I think that is problematic with this. Edge, you've got a story on Re- Wrexham. 
Well, we've had previously a little bit of news about Wrexham AFC in the fifth tier of English football, the National League. Uh, and, and Wrexham managed to squeeze into our European segment on the final weekend of the Premier League with this this uh, critical why. breaking news. You're about to know why. Hollywood duo Rob Reynolds and Rob McElhinney's, they obviously purchased the Welsh Minnow about six months ago, which are the great surprise of most people around uh, international football. Um, but they've just signed a £100 million deal with Disney, and Disney's uh, who owns FX. Are we uh, breaking that news on Box to Box? We're breaking the news on Box to oh Box. Oh, my God. No, no, Was it's it actually on Twitter. Yet, <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, they've purchased two seasons of a program to be titled Welcome to Wrexham and another four seasons on option and will chronicle the Hollywood duo's journey fulfilling the dreams of Wrexham fans. The trailer's very good, and they promise an avalanche of funds for players, and it seems like they want to take this mob all the way to the Premier League. So the 65,000 residents of Wrexham are in them for the ride of their life. And and what is Wrexham famous for in a box-to-box context? Dean Harris. I was was born there. That Dino was born in Wrexham. Willem was like the boy at the back of the class. Pick me, pick me. So those people who love Sunderland Till I Die, apparently this is going to be something like that on steroids. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Well, that was right Right. up there with Liverpool qualifying in the top four. uh, Oh, you're still going on about the Liverpool goalkeeper scoring a goal uh, in the past seven days. I mean, our WhatsApp chat's been... Full of Liverpool stuff, Eddingham. Well, it should be. There's only one of us around here. Who was marking the goalkeeper? No, he was was the goalpost. They never do, though. The The only person you need to mark is the goalkeeper if he (laughs) dares, he or she dares. That's the one person that cannot score on you. (laughs) Oh, God, it was funny. It was funny to watch uh, just as he leaped in. He looked like a black bullet, didn't he, just leaping up at the end of uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's corner. Well, right, uh, Derek, is there anything else you've got for us before we wrap it up? We've got a bit more for stoppage time. Yeah, I think you've just taken all the rest of the time there, Rob, talking about Liverpool again. So um, in- interesting stuff going on in Europe. And we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up what happened in Europe next week, but it's very exciting. Excellent. All right, well done. Well done, Dana. Stick around, boys. Um, Samantha, you stay right where you are. Michael, he's not going anywhere. Uh, Willem is um, you know, rubbing his forehead, uh, just wondering what the hell is going on here as Damien presses the buttons. Okay, we've got a little bit more time left. We're going to uh, bring it home in stoppage time. Stick around. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It's been a great show this week. We've really loved having Samantha Johnson in the studio with us. She brings a somewhat a charm to a very usually testosterone filled. You need to see her play a bit more. You, if we played against Sam, we wouldn't have ankles left. <laughs> <laughs> Double full tackles, you know, but she's done He's it all. He's not lying. Yeah, well, if there was a Defenders Hall of Fame, you'd be in it, wouldn't you, Sam? Well, you can't vote yourself in, but we would. Oh, okay, we're going to bring it home with stoppage time. Dino and Derek are waiting there. Uh, Willem is here too. But before we do, Storage King, the greatest advertising jingle there is attached to the greatest storage business going around. Is your home running out of space? Well, you've got to call Storage King. Whether you're decluttering, moving, renovating, downsizing, or creating a home office, Storage King has the answer. And what I want to tell you to do is... 
wherever you're listening around Australia, I want you to tune into Channel 9 this weekend for the final episode of Space Invaders. Storage King has been featured throughout, helping some wonderful families around Australia with the host Peter Walsh, Cherie Barber, Lucas Callahan, and they are decluttering people's lives, and they'll show you how to do it as well. Get to storageking.com.au to find your nearest sport. They will help give you back some space, but tune in to Channel 9 this weekend at 7.30, and you will see one of the great TV shows that has been broadcast on Freeway Television. Oh, I hear there's a little birdie from the Ayers Ayers household tells me that um, Samantha might need a Storage King uh, compound to Mm -hmm. store all the stuff that she's collected in her latest trip to Australia. I understand you came out with two suitcases, but we'll need about uh, a tip truck to go home. (laughs) You have that much stuff that you've collected. Yes, that is true. I like to do thrift shopping, and so everywhere I go around the world, I don't bring clothes. I just buy them when I get there. You got any Macklemore in the background? Uh, <laughs> yes, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll set you up with some storage in, don't we'll worry about that, Sam. Okay, uh, well, guys, um, where are we going to take this? Um, Derek, you had a couple of things that you wanted to toss up. Oh, look, I just obviously didn't get a chance to talk about some of the other leagues in Europe, but I just wanted to point out that Lille are still on course for an extraordinary win uh, of the Liga in France against pa- uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Paris Saint-Germain can still do it, and, and they did get a good result during the week, but what a story if Leo won it. And then, uh, obviously, over in, in Italy, we mentioned the old lady, you know, they've, they've still got a chance of, of getting in uh, and there. But Spain is the other big one, because Atletico Madrid have pulled a result out of the fire this week, and they are still in prime position. I think they only need to draw in order to win the Liga and break that um, stranglehold that Real Madrid and Barcelona have had over that tournament. And uh, Edge, you wanted to talk about Lewandowski last week. He did, in fact, equal that record uh, with Thomas uh, with with, uh, with Gerd Müller. And if he scores this weekend, he'll beat it. He certainly will. And uh, he is he the most dynamic striker in the modern era of all time? I know he hasn't played uh, across the ditch in England, but uh, he's well and surely done the job in, uh, in the Bundesliga time and time again. He has to be right up there, doesn't he, Derek? Yeah, and look, he, he is potentially on the move as well. I mean... Barcelona, sorry, yeah, Bayern Munich. I think it'd be absolutely mad if they if they let him go. I can't believe that's even a consideration for someone of his caliber. But you know, Real Madrid and a few others are interested, and we might see him slotting in goals in another league next year. Bit of serious news out of South America that I wanted to do share with everyone. Obviously, we know that Copa America is such a wonderful uh, tournament in South America, and we know that it would have been an amazing uh, event this year had of the Socceroos been able to participate uh, as a special inv- invitee. And America's played a couple of times in Copper America too, I, I do believe. But obviously this year's event was going to be shared between Colombia and Argentina. Colombia has just been withdrawn as uh, one of the hosts of the tournament because of the state uh, of what's happening in Colombia at the moment. I don't know if you've been watching the news, Rob, but effectively the... Uh, the economy has just broken down in Colombia. It's uh, their, their response to the, the pandemic has been shambolic. Police aren't getting paid. Um, most of the big cities have uh, anarchy and looting on them every night. Police not doing their jobs. So it's it's quite sad uh, that what's happened in Colombia. And um, I've got a few Colombian friends uh, that are doing it tough in Bogota at the moment. And I my heart goes out to them. And effectively, the fans protested outside of the Federation's offices, pleaded them with not to have the uh, the event uh, in Colombia because of the funds it would have taken away from uh, the purchase of vaccines for the frontline staff. So, yeah, it's such so, so, so sad stuff, isn't it, when this sort of thing happens where, you know, the uh, the you know the purpose of football in, for many people is to bring joy to their lives and uh, for the fans who, you know, they're... 
there there are no more passionate football fans in the world than the South Americans. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, yeah. There might be some they're equal, but none more passionate. And uh, for for people to be protesting to have the event removed is a sad indictment on the way things are broken down over there. So Bogota of the last of the last year, Bogota has been locked down for three hundred and thirty two days. Mm, yeah, that's. Uh, so the entire event will be held in Argentina. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, good luck to our friends in Colombia. No, we, we do have listeners around the world in pretty much every country. I did a count the other day. There's, uh, you know, 52 countries uh, around the world. We've had listeners uh, to Yeah, they would be. I would have suspect they would. And uh, so, you know, I mean, Samantha, as um, someone from North America, it's such a it's a, a a vast difference in 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 lifestyle and and and. Um, the, um, the the way that um, that those you know uh, who live in North America get to live their lives compared to you know countries in, in neighboring countries like Colombia. Yeah, it's actually really sad because I feel like us in North America and just America in general, we just take so much advantage of like what we have, and we really just have too much to be honest. So mm-hmm. we're we consume a lot, and then as soon as something is taken away, like we have to sit in our house for a, a few months, we just start complaining. But we don't realize there's a bigger problem happening outside of ourselves. So. Yeah, well, look, hopefully um, with, uh, you know, the uh, the American support of South America leading the way, you, I'm reading some articles that, that there are a range of different uh, initiatives. A lot of excess vaccines are about to go down. Yeah, being put in yeah, place. Yeah, I hope so. we can do yeah. our part because, yeah. oh my gosh, I mean, we are America mm. and so we say that we want to help everyone. I just hope we're actually doing it. Yeah, okay. Hey, Sam, it's been wonderful having you on the show this week. We've really enjoyed it. Um, your career, you, you're, uh, you've got the, the passion back, um, you know, can you give us any hints as to where it might take you? Will we see you back in Australia next season? Um, I guess I can't count out anything, but mm-hmm. hopefully it's either Spain or Italy at the moment. So mm-hmm. we'll see what we can Off do. Off to Europe. The adventure continues, Sam. It does. Yes, it does. But I'll always come back to Australia. Yeah. Oh, well, um, we, this is uh, a, a moment in time that um, we hope you've enjoyed in your whole Australian uh, journey. And uh, Michael uh, was telling us last week that he knew this young woman uh, and uh, they mentioned your name. We thought, well, straight away, there's a seat there for you. And you've done a brilliant job, as we knew you would. So thank you. Thank you. Dino, good to have you back on again, brother. Yeah, good. Yeah, likewise. Hey, what happened to you after last week, mate? Darby, hanging on by that. Did you listen to the show last week, Dino? Because we yeah, did. Yeah, I did. I did. We did. Um, um, we did say that you were the only Derby fan in Australia. Oh, yeah, we were going to get the head of the Derby. Yeah, um, to uh, prove fan. me wrong. I challenged you to prove me wrong, but yeah, you didn't well, do it, Will. Oh, no, there's a few. There's a few. Yeah, you yeah, know them all on by personal, you know them by first yeah, we name, did. don't you? Yeah, we are just on the same mailing list. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I did reach out to get the head of the uh, Derby County Australia fans group on, and it was your number, Dean. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> He's got a few seniors. All right, Dean, we'll talk to you again next week, mate. Yeah, lovely. And Derek, uh, thank you, mate. Um, I think you've got a few things on your hands uh, going on right now. He's juggling everything. He's come back from pneumonia, um, and he's he's looking after baby. He's had a knee death, knee death experience, and now he's got the toddler while he's doing the radio. It, and nobody would have known because he was like a duck on the pond, just he was, serene. Now, but friend Derek, how are you? Have a, you go and relax for the rest of the day, mate. I appreciate it. I'm going to go and lie in a dark room somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, and rock from side to side. And Damo, thanks again, mate, uh, as we uh, we sort of bask in the shadow of that poster, which should have had the green and gold on it uh, from the 2006 World Cup. But in a parallel universe, the Socceroos did win that World Cup. Anyway, uh, we uh, are very grateful to everyone who's listened to us again this week. We're really uh, thankful for your support and uh, we uh, hope you keep spreading the good word. And we also hope that you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.